This podcast episode is sponsored by Sprout Living. There are a lot of plant-based protein powders to choose from. So I want to tell you about one of my favorite companies called Sprout Living and their protein powders. They're delicious, nutrient dense, and they don't make you feel bloated. What makes them different is they avoid a lot of unnecessary additives that many others on the market use. This means they don't use any gums, thickeners, or natural flavorings. Instead, they only use whole foods, herbs, spices, and adaptogens, which is cool because it makes the blends multifunctional, aka it's more than just a protein powder. They have a bunch of different flavors, and they even have sample packs so you can test out several different flavors, which is really fun. This makes it really easy to find something that you'll enjoy. Check them out and use the code PLANTCENTERED for 20% off your order. Welcome to the Plant-Centered and Thriving Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Kitchens. I'm a plant-based registered dietitian and virtual nutrition mentor. I was raised on an Angus cattle farm, grew up with a lot of GI issues, and used the power of plant-based eating to promote healing. Here, you'll find inspiration, ideas, and encouragement for your own plant-based journey. I'm so thrilled you're here today. Let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Ashley, and today I have a very special guest with me named Nisha. She's from Cooking for Peanuts, which you may recognize that handle because she is very popular on Instagram for her delicious vegan drool-worthy recipes that she creates and posts. She is going to share her story with you today, and I'm really excited for you to hear it. She's a mom of three teenaged girls. She's also a registered dietitian from Columbia University, and she's a graduate of the Natural Gourmet Culinary Institute. And also what's really exciting is she has a cookbook out called Practically Vegan, and it is full of 100 plus easy, delicious vegan dinners on a budget. And it is beautiful. You all, she went plant-based decades ago, which she's going to get into. She transitioned into becoming vegan. Once she started seeing a significant improvement in her well-being. the fewer animal products she ate, the better she felt. And the further down the path she went, the more she learned about how animals were raised for human consumption, which made veganism a no brainer for her. Join me in welcoming Nisha to the show. Thank you, Ashley. I am super excited to be here. Yes, I'm so excited. And I'm also thrilled that you are also a registered dietitian, which is, I feel it kind of rare these days. Vegan and plant-based dietitians are becoming more popular, but it's always nice to talk to someone who is a vegan dietitian. Yes, I I feel the same. And you're right. I, I feel there are more out there now. Mm -hmm, There are. Yes. So I know you have a beautiful journey of transitioning to vegan and I gave those listening just a taste of what that looked like, but I would love for you to take us back to sort of the beginning and kind of tell us what life was like as a child. And then eventually what led you to transitioning to a vegan diet? So I was born in Jamaica, the island and my parents are very different in terms of what they eat and you know their values around food. My mom still eats spam. She loves spam. She thinks it's its own food group. And uh, you know, she just has she had, I think, almost a foot of her colon removed because she eats no fruit, no vegetable except banana. Did she and really? French fries? Yes. Yeah. And 
it didn't change her. She said, well, now I have another 10 years on the new part. Wow. (laughs) If that doesn't change you, you know, I don't know what will, but she's a lovely woman, just uh, eats terribly. And (laughs) my dad is the opposite. And he was the one who always encouraged me to eat lots of fruits and vegetables, to vary them and to be um, sort of experimental in my approach to eating he will eat a banana with the peel on. Really? Actually, yes. (laughs) Have you done that? So because of him, I haven't done a banana, but I do eat those, um, the little yellow mangoes, I call artufo, I don't remember, but I eat those champagne mangoes. I eat Mm. those with the skin on because um, I'm peeling them all the time for my kids. So when I eat one, I just cannot be bothered to peel it anymore. So I, I eat it with the skin and it is bitter, but I have a lot of tolerance for bitterness, which I know a lot of people don't, which makes it hard for them to eat certain vegetables. So I get it, but I was blessed with a huge tolerance for bitter food. So I can eat any vegetable. <laughs> That's so um, wonderful. But my kids think it's the best party trick. I remember when he first did it, I was mesmerized because I hadn't seen this even as a kid. So, you know, they, yeah, and they worked a lot. They still do. And so we ate a lot of canned food like Chef Boyardee was my mom's best friend when <laughs> I was growing up. Um, but, you know, what it really did for me is to accept where people are coming from and not be mm. judgmental of their choices. And even if someone isn't, you know, vegan yet, but it's trying to eat more plant-based. I really respect that. And that's actually why I wrote my cookbook on just vegan dinners and practically vegan. Part of that name, while it's also practical, the book is to embrace those who aren't vegan, but are just trying to eat more vegan dinners or meals. Um, So I think my parents taught me that. Yeah. I was wondering where that name came from because it felt very accessible, you know, reading practically vegan. It was like, oh, it sounds like anyone could do this or someone who's looking to transition that this would be kind of a a great cookbook to start with yes it's a great conversation starter because the 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 biggest question I've had is why did you call it that if it's vegan and you know I had to explain to people it's because it's you don't have to be vegan to enjoy this book it's so practical because you're going to use the ingredients over and over again you just buy a certain set of condiments, herbs and spices, and you recycle them into all the recipes in different ways. So it's practical and not wasteful. Nothing's gathering dust in your pantry. And um, it's also very budget friendly, which makes it practical. Yes. Yeah. You're and saving easy. money. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because and- I think there's a myth that eating vegan is very expensive, but it really doesn't have to be. Someone yep. shows you, you know, the way to do it more mm-hmm. cost effectively. Yeah. Yeah. And when those condiments or spices or herbs or whatever they are in your pantry aren't gathering dust, then you're saving money because you're actually using what it is that you bought. And I know that can be challenging for especially new vegans or new people who are new to plant-based eating is there's all these obscure ingredients that maybe a, a blogger is recommending or a cookbook's recommending Then we, we buy it, we use it once and then that's it. Exactly. You know, things like my friend who is not vegan, but loves vegetables. She said, what's nutritional yeast yesterday? And I forget that a lot of the population don't know what nutritional yeast is. Mm -hmm. So I think it really embraces these ingredients that are actually readily available, but people may not know how to use them. 
Yep. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. I think that's so wonderful. So you're growing up in Jamaica. Parents are kind of feeding you a real, a, a diverse diet of canned foods. And then dad's also pushing, you know, fruits and vegetables and things like that. As you were growing up too, did you make that connection of how you were feeling or were there any sort of ailments that you were suffering with or how, how was that going? So my biggest ailment was that I was a very naughty child, but <laughs> so that set that aside for now. But um, I, you know, Rastafarianism is a huge part of Jamaican culture. And I was exposed to that a lot um, through festivals and, you know, people around me. And um, their way of cooking is called, it's their, their food is called ITIL food. And okay. it is mostly vegan some as veg some people eat it as vegetarian and they use little or no salt and it's very fresh it uses all the local ingredients and so i was exposed to that from very young and because of my lack of taste for bitter <laughs> i was very drawn to it um, and it made me feel so much better and lighter and healthier and just happier that i knew this was the way i wanted to eat you know going forward so I started mm -hmm. to incorporate more of that into my diet and Jamaica is abundant in so many fruit and vegetables it's hard to avoid them yeah yeah so you found yourself being able to incorporate a lot of those into your diet as you were growing up yes definitely because even though we were on canned food I should give my mom some credit because we also had a lot of fresh like curries but they were like curried goat you know so yes. not things I would ever eat now but there's still um, I was exposed to so much flavor mm -hmm. because Jamaican food is very flavorful Indian food is very flavorful so you know I did have that exposure and for me a big part of how I cook now and in my cookbook is you you incorporate tons of flavor through you know those herbs and spices and you really don't need a lot of salt I always add it. I went to culinary school at the Natural Gourmet in New York. So, um, you know, I know chefs think, you know, they say you have to use salt. It brings the flavors together. But I think um, it can also be ex an excuse to not build your own flavor. And so I would rather get to the end point of serving and have people add that to taste. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's great too, because then it allows people who are maybe more sensitive to salt or just don't want inc to include a lot of salt into their diet, or maybe they have something going on where salt maybe quote, shouldn't be part of their diet. It's helpful to have alternatives like that, that rely more on just spices and flavorings like herbs to make that dish really delicious versus just relying on salt. Exactly. And so my kids, um, you know, they eat all my food sometimes begrudgingly but you know something's <laughs> new to them but um they so often say to me mom this is so delicious imagine if you added salt <laughs> my goodness <laughs> which I think is a compliment <laughs> yes yeah absolutely yep yeah you'll take it yes definitely and you're a mom of three teenage girls right yes <laughs> so how how oh, I don't want to jump too far ahead but how is that even just raising them on a vegan lifestyle. How has that been for you? Fortunately, I went on this journey when they were pretty young. So I think for kids, it's sort of what you're used to. And I think if you start, like if you're having, you know, if you're new to having kids, I think the earlier you expose them to all these different, you know, healthy vegetables, fruits, and vegan food, the much more accepting they are, because that's mm -hmm. what they know. Um, 
two of my kids do eat cheese um, now because, you know, they can get that out of the house if they want. And I'm not, you know, so strict with them about definitely what they eat out of my house isn't really in my control and nor should it be. But they have chosen to stay with our diet. But two of them do eat cheese and one is vegan. Okay. All right. Neat. I have heard a lot of vegan moms say that, that they give their child autonomy when they do leave the house or they try to allow them to make their own decisions, um, especially outside the house, like you're talking about, which I think is really neat. Yes. I think, you know, if you don't do that, you're, they will rebel probably. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because then it becomes a control issue, which is a whole other, which has nothing to do with food. Yes. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) That's a good point. Yep. Okay. So Nisha, you're, you're living in Jamaica. And then I know at one point you go to boarding school in England, right? Yes. I'll share with you that I really was a terror, (laughs) (laughs) but I think it was a lack of attention because my Mm. parents really worked all the time. And so my way of getting attention, which I would never do this now and, and don't try it at home. Um, I would throw eggs on the wall or do crazy things like that when I was annoyed and, I remember putting ketchup on the wall once and say I was, I said I was dying, (laughs) but you know, I was actually thinking these were fun things to do, but so I think my parents were like, we cannot handle her anymore. Um, So they sent me to boarding school in England at the age of seven, which they, under the guise that um, I would get a better education. I'm sure that really was why, (laughs) but (laughs) I tell myself a different story. Sure. Um, And I had to become well-behaved very fast because in boarding school, there's no tolerance um, for my behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, it's funny because friends in Jamaica were like, if Nisha can improve so quickly, we're going to send our kids there too. And two of them did. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I was a little notorious. But um, so in England, the food was, in my boarding school at least, terrible, really terrible. So... Um, and we had to eat meats. There was no choice. You know, the movement of vegetarian and veganism was much less than. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was like steak and kidney pie, things I'd never been exposed to or thought human beings would ever eat. And haggis, which I think is sheep's brain, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, my. Yes. Very scary <laughs> food but that you never thought about what it was while you're eating it or you would have it would have been really um, traumatic, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, And the vegetables were always cooked as if they forgot that they were on the stove, you know, so it was like mushy and just horrible. So the best thing they made there were the birthday cakes, um, which you got once a year and I would just save it forever and have like a tiny sliver every day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I think that taught me that um, I never want to eat bland food again. And I don't want to eat those parts of animals again. So Mm -hmm. um, in that way, I could look at it as a positive experience. You were allowed to be excused to foods and your parents had to write a letter excusing you. And so mine were beets and Brussels sprouts, which by the way, I love Brussels sprouts now. I also do really like beets, but my middle one hates beets. And because, you know, they're nutritious, but they're not like, you know, holy grail of nutrition so I kind yeah. of just leave them out yeah mm-hmm. yeah absolutely <laughs> not like kale which fortunately no one hates kale in my house they That's like good. kale a lot yeah yes <laughs> I would imagine the kale in your house is very delicious thank you it's all about the garlic mm, yes. and the coconut aminos too <laughs> oh yeah yep definitely 
sort of caramelizes it almost. Mm -hmm. So you go from Jamaica to England, which is, I mean, from a food perspective, like culturally very different and how they ate. And it also sounds like too, and I, I really like Nisha, how you spin it. And I, I read this, I think even on Amazon of how a lot of these experiences sort of obviously led to where you're at now. And you don't blame anyone for overcooking the Brussels sprouts or anything like that, but it almost like added fuel to the fire of doing what you do now, which is creating these really delicious vegan recipes that are full of flavor and aren't overcooked. Thank you. I try. Yeah. <laughs> I think this encourages kids to, um, you know, enjoy, if you can make them delicious, they're going to like vegetables, you know? Yes. If, um, so I think roasting is always a sure thing. You know, it never ruins the food and you can do it oil-free or with oil. Now people love air fryers, which I do have one. I don't use it a ton, but I do use it. Mm-hmm. Especially fried, for tofu. <laughs> yes. Air fried tofu is next level. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. So what led you then from England? Cause then you go to Montreal to go to school and then eventually you go to Columbia to become a registered dietitian. So what kind of happened in between there? So uh, Montreal is, you know, just a center, a hub for amazing food. Um, so I would save up and go uh, for a fancy meal, like maybe once a month, delicious, delicious meal. And I also, you know, got some inspiration from going to those places. And in college, I cooked for myself mostly. So, um, you know, that gave me even more experience. I was in pre-med. I liked it but definitely didn't work hard enough as I should have and so I ended up switching when someone informed me that if I did economics I would um, be given a job in New York City and they would pay for me to move here because I could be an investment banker I had never heard of investment banking and um, but this seemed really awesome because economics is very easy compared to biochemistry so I was able to complete it in a year and switch. And I um, interviewed for all these investment banking jobs and I did get them and moved to New York and they did, lo and behold, fund my move. And so it was great. And that's how I ended up in New York City and okay. a, new, a new career that I really did not do much exploration into and really didn't like it. But So you didn't stay for very long then, did you? A year. Okay. And then, so at what point did you, cause I'm curious, and I don't know if you get this question a lot, Nisha, but I get asked a lot being a dietitian is like, well, were you plant-based or vegan before you became a dietitian or was it after? So I want to ask you the same question. Sure. So when I moved to New York, I was anything but plant-based um, because my now husband who I met um, when I first came to, he ate the most um, in very nice places and he he ate different kinds of meats and I, I was exposed to a lot. And again, I, in college, I ate a lot of vegetarian mostly. So this was sort of new. And then quickly I realized like, I didn't want to eat like this. And, and I felt bad for the animals too. Like, mm. what was I eating? What was I doing? And, you know, the climate, all these factors came into play for me at that point. And I went and became a second grade teacher after investment banking an assistant teacher, I should say, and mm -hmm. um, in a New York City private school. And then I 
decided I, I do want to do education, but I've always loved food. You know, I've always loved to cook. I've always been interested in science. I'm a chemist. I did do, you know, a lot of chemistry and food and chemistry are so, you know, intertwined. And so I decided I explored, you know, different degrees and decided to do a master's in nutrition education because I am a teacher by heart. Yeah, but I love science and chemistry and food. So it seemed to make sense to me, but I wasn't fully, I wasn't a vegan. I would say I was mostly vegetarian at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I rarely ate any meat. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing, and I don't know what your degree was like, I'd love to hear, but I didn't feel they really separated the meat and vegan and vegetable aspect very well. I feel like it was much more macronutrient based and vitamin based but it didn't it didn't really go into how what was the healthiest way to get those and you know and I feel food culture is so influenced by you know industry and food industry that um, there were a lot of like secrets to how things were made or processed that I wasn't made aware of so I feel a little cheated in that respect and Mm -hmm. it took me exploring for myself after graduating to really discover like it, there is a difference to how you're getting these nutrients, a huge difference. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there absolutely is. And very similarly, I became plant-based after going to school about 10 years ago. And the one thing I remember about vegans and plant-based eaters is that they need vitamin B12. That was the really the only thing that I remember yeah. them teaching <laughs> us and everything else was kind of like what you're talking about, very macronutrient based, micronutrient based, or how do you sort of manage this disease with food and yeah. And not a whole lot was spent on quality or yeah. even, um, even just eating a more plant forward type diet. I don't know if it's different now, but back then it definitely, that's the way it was. Yes, definitely. And, um, even the disease foods didn't address it. And, yeah. you know, disease yeah. is so related to, I, I believe your plants versus meat diet, like how much weight they are, how weighted they are. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. So because you went, cause I know that you went vegan about, was it a couple decades ago? Yeah. About that. I think. Okay. So what I don't remember, but yeah. <laughs> maybe I mean, completely vegan less than that. Okay. But I still don't remember exactly. Yeah. Do you remember even what it was like trying to navigate the grocery stores or restaurants, you know, not eating meat, which I would imagine back then even was like even more strange than when I went plant-based 10 years ago. I have to be honest. I, well, I, I didn't like you, I knew how to read labels very well, still do. And that's been a huge asset. I always read ingredients um, and made very informed decisions. What I would buy the fewer ingredients, the better. I still live by, you know, my kids read all their labels. Um, doesn't mean they make the best choices, but at least they read them. Yeah. So, you know, it's hugely helpful. And, you know, I did start to educate myself from labels and trying. I think it's really important to have, take a fun approach to this, not take yourself too seriously, experiment, and you will learn because I wasn't born a chef or, you know, it's, it's, I learned so much, even since I wrote the book, I have learned so much just through trying and, and cooking. And, you know, sometimes you will fail, but you will learn. So it yep. it's, it's totally doesn't matter. And um, so I would experiment, but I also, I don't have, I, I didn't have much social media. In fact, I was rarely on my phone. I was the person who would check her email at the end of the day till I couldn't manage anymore. But <laughs> 
Um, and my kids don't have social media, even though they're teenagers, which is yeah. interesting, but mm-hmm. which is great. So um, I eventually I did get Instagram and I learned a lot on Instagram, actually. I'll be honest, like there are some amazing vegan cooks on Instagram, food bloggers, and I learned a lot from them. Um, so I think like ingredients that I'd never heard of, I did pick up from there. Yeah. Yep. I think that's great too, because you can really leverage social media for inspiration and to learn. And I really like what you said to Nisha about really a lot of you learning has just been trying. And then when there's a failure that comes along, which is really inevitable, when you try, you learn from that and, you know, adapt and move on to the next thing. Right. Just like learning how to do reels. I fail all the time. Yes. <laughs> They're so hard. <laughs> which your um, reels are fantastic. So oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. And another thing I think you have to um, not be scared of is uh, how many dishes you have to do. <laughs> because yes. I remember when I was scared of that, um, I would experiment less because I just didn't want to clean. I would play it safe. I didn't want to clean that many dishes. But now I sort of looked at it as, you know, some days I make, I just roast cheap hand dinner because I really don't want to wash anything um, mm-hmm. so easy. But a lot of the time lately, I have just looked at the dishes as a meditation practice or as, you know what, kids, you should do these. <laughs> it's one or the other. <laughs> mm-hmm. And for those listening, what is a sheet pan dinner? So, for example, if you're new to plant-based eating, it's really a simple place to start is to think, think macronutrients. You know, I want to get some protein. I want to get good fat. I want to get some, you know, carbohydrates, carbs. And um, the way to think through that for me is, and that's what my book does. It actually has the whole end portion breaks down things into protein sides, uh, veggie sides, carb sides, so that people can build their own bowls. And I think, you know, once you research, what are the vegan proteins? What are the good vegetables that are good for roasting? You know, because certain ones are better than others. And what grains are easy and healthy and whole grains are, you know, best, but you don't have to be perfect. You can, if you love white rice with your curry, go for it. You know, I always say that. So, um, yeah, so a sheep pen dinner is I pick a protein, let's say tofu. I will toss it in, you know, some seasonings, garlic powder, onion powder, um, some cornstarch to make it crispy. And I will pick, say, Brussels sprouts, um, peppers, I made yesterday the most amazing, um, just roasting simply red onions, cutting them thick and, you know, red bell peppers and, you know, it's delicious. And then you, you know, what brown rice, farro, I made farro. And so you have your, you know, your healthy fat could be even chopping it with chopped pistachios or, or walnuts or something like that. And, you know, putting it, uh, you know, I made a delicious, um, sweet and sour sauce with like four ingredients that I use all the time so if you think okay I need a sauce of you know at the end of it I'm going to roast some veggies some protein and make a grain you're all set there's your sheet pan dinner Um, it's easy super easy 20 minutes and maximum I think and Mm -hmm. it's like even kids love that yeah, it sounds, well, you talking about it makes me get hungry because that sounds delicious. Yeah, and there's so much variety in there too. There's a lot of color. And like you said, it's very, it's satiating because you're including protein, carbohydrates, fat. So it's a very well-rounded dinner as well. Yeah, I try to think 
like that when I'm planning dinner in my head, you know, mm-hmm. like, am I getting greens is another one I try and add, you know? Yes. Yes, definitely. I think we've, we've talked about this on the show before of just ways to keep greens on hand so you can add them to so many different things, whether it's smoothies or pastas or sauces, or, you know, if you, even if you're roasting something or cooking a soup, whatever it is, it's nice to have greens on hand. Yeah. Soups and stews and curries are such a good vehicle for even like a bolognese. I'll, I'll chop kale and put it in there. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. So Nisha, I know there are some people who are big fans of yours as well. Listening. How did cooking for peanuts come about and how did it turn into really what it is today? So when I first started my Instagram It was called My Favorite Edibles because I didn't know what edibles were. Oh, shoot. (laughs) I was very naive. And then a friend of mine told me and um, I was like, oh, well, I should actually sell that name because I'm sure a lot of people would love it. Um, But I gave it up. And then I was I was at that point, I was actually going into different cafes and supermarkets and showing people what was healthy. Like okay. what are good choices mm-hmm. Was this um, as you were a registered dietitian? Yes. Like okay. from that point of view, I was a registered dietitian. So here are healthy choices you can make in this cafe or, you know, um, or in the supermarket. So, mm-hmm. and then I, you know, was exposed to all these people making beautiful food. I was like, I want to make beautiful food, you know? Um, Cause I didn't really think about it being pretty at that point, just healthy. Mm-hmm. So I am, um, you know, started to do that. And then my mom, sells Nikon so she had sent me a camera which was you know yeah such a great gift she has been an inspiration this spam lover has really helped (laughs) me on my journey sure (laughs) she really has so um she inspired me to go to you know the vegan vegetarian culinary school too um wow so I guess she lives through me (laughs) oh yeah yeah so um then you know it started to be my recipes and I remember sitting at the desk and thinking, well, what name should I use? And, you know, my whole family were out, I don't know where. And I thought, you know, I think I like cooking for peanuts because um, I love a play on words. And it means to me, you know, inexpensive cooking for Mm. peanuts, Mm -hmm. making peanuts because I wasn't getting paid (laughs) and and also cooking for kids, which, you know, sometimes you call them peanuts. Mm-hmm. And I also do like peanuts. So it had so many meanings to me and I felt it was memorable. So I'm like, I'm so smart. I'm going with this name. Now I'm like, wait a minute. People have no idea what that means. It should be, it should have been like, you know, vegan RD, something that just spells it out. And yep. I think I made a similar um, sort of calculation with my book. Can I just show it to you? Yes, please do. Oh, I Thank love it. You. So Beautiful. practically vegan. I think I sort of went the route of playing on words again. <laughs> you know, being practical, you're practically vegan. Um, And again, I wonder if I should have called it 100 plus easy vegan dinners or something, because I always make things slightly unclear. (laughs) It's in the subtitle and on Amazon, it was incredibly clear what it looked like or what it was. I'm glad to hear that. Yes. So, okay. So you became a registered dietitian. You're working as a dietitian, it sounds like, and then you end up going to culinary school. And then from there, mom gives you a beautiful camera. So the culinary school came actually later. I had started Instagram. And at that point, I think I was doing like a lot of posts and it was too much. And I feel it took a toll on me and I just didn't want to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of just never looked at Instagram for a year. I just decided and so sweet that 
the people who were following me actually stayed oh, yeah. through that year. And I thought that was like, just so wonderful. And so I took that time, which was maybe five years ago, I think, or four okay. years ago to go to do culinary school, because now my kids could, I always joke, brush their own teeth and clean their butts themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so it felt like the right time. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize it was this recent that you went to culinary yeah. school. Wow. And I think it was more for um, having confidence that I knew stuff already, because mm -hmm. apart from like learning how to make pasta from scratch or tofu from scratch, you know, those sort of things, a lot of it, I somehow did know. And I just didn't believe I was good at it, which I mm. think a lot of people feel not confident in the kitchen, but they're much better than they actually give themselves credit for. They, you yeah. know, and so I think um, it taught me that because I never went home and made pasta from scratch, except in the first week again, because I realized that's just not me and my lifestyle. Yeah, I am practical and that's just not practical. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it sounded like culinary school really reaffirmed a lot of what you were already doing, but also probably gave you some inspiration to just continue down this path that felt really aligned to you, especially after taking maybe a year off or taking a step back for a little bit. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Because you have an incredible audience who, I mean, obviously loves what you do and they're incredibly supportive. Um, so how, how is like your, your day-to-day -day life? How do you manage everything? I feel I'm not managing things at all, honestly. <laughs> I feel like even today I'm so overwhelmed because mm -hmm. I have, you know, a sponsored post I need to get done that I've been procrastinating. I'm like three quarters way through. I um, barely produce reels because I'm so busy. I, I have a blog now that I, that's probably my favorite because it's sort of my own space and I'm a, I always say I'm an introvert. My kids will like fight me on this and say, you're really not, but I feel like one. So, you know, that allows me to just sort of be more academic, which I love um, and sort of just take it my own pace. But all these things, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. So trying to do all of this. And then I haven't even started my, like I have all these email um, subscribers and I've never sent an email because I just need to figure out how to do that. So I do feel overwhelmed. I should probably have someone help me at this point. Um, so I feel I just work in bits and pieces. Like today I'll do this. Oh, I haven't done this in a while. I just went on TikTok now and I actually was so against it, but I have to say, I love TikTok. Oh, which my kids would hate to hear me say, because I thought it was just for dancing. <laughs> and yep. I'm such a bad dancer, really terrible. So, um, but I realized food does well on TikTok. So yes. I actually, um, you know, I'm cooking for peanuts on TikTok, but I actually feel I'm going to have a lot of fun with this. I want to have fun um, mm -hmm. at the end of the day. I don't want it to be painful. So I'm trying not to take myself too seriously in all of these areas, but I need to actually, I need a schedule. My husband keeps saying, you need a schedule. I do need a schedule. Yeah. It's, it's hard to run a business. There's, there are so many moving parts. It can be really challenging. And Nisha, I kind of agree that an assistant might be really helpful for you as well. Yes. So. If you ever find someone, let me know. Okay. I will. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, Nisha, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and your journey and just, just more insight into cooking for peanuts. I think it's so cool when there's someone comes on the podcast and just shares more behind the scenes of what it's like to even run a business and run an Instagram account and all the moving parts that are associated with it. So thank you for sharing that with us today. Thank you. It was very easy to talk to you. Oh, good. Wonderful. Well, for those of you listening, definitely check out Nisha's new cookbook, Practically Vegan. It is linked below. And if you're watching this, there is a beautiful cover on the front of what it looks like. And it's just, it's a stunning cookbook. The photos are beautiful and it's very easy to follow and it's very budget friendly. So definitely check out the cookbook, which is linked below. And then also her blog and social media as well, Cooking for Peanuts. Nisha, thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Plant-Centered and Thriving Podcast today. If you found this episode inspiring, please share it with a friend or post it on social media and tag me so I can personally say thank you. Until next time, keep thriving.